Our scripture reading is from book of Genesis, chapter 23. I'll be reading the whole chapter. If you care to simply listen to it, feel free. Otherwise, turn to Genesis 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and treat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of whom all who went in at the gate of the city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which is to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that is in it, and all the trees that were in the field and throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron, In the land of Canaan, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This ends the reading of God's word. Well, this is not the happiest of texts, is it? And in some ways it seems um, like a narrative that we could have could have been shrunk into simply a verse. And Sarah died and Abraham buried him in a cave. But that's not what we get. We get 20 verses about this whole episode. And brothers and sisters, this is actually an important passage. It's a passage which teaches us a lot about Sarah's faith, about Abraham's confession of faith, It teaches us about the Lord and his faithfulness, and it also reminds us that our destination really is not the grave. The the grave is simply a 
resting place for Emmanuel's land. And this is actually taught in this place. This is a confession of faith from Abraham that Sarah's life is not over. She's being buried because she's being planted like a beautiful flower to rise again from the dead. So this is Sarah's death at Hebron. She lived 127 years, and it's quite a story, and it's told to remind us also that God is a God of people, and these are real people. Uh, this comes out here. It comes out with the grief of Abraham, uh, which is transparent in the text when you read it carefully. Uh, it comes out in the determination he has that he would find a place for Sarah in the promised land, the land that the Lord had promised him. You see, Abraham uh, could have simply buried Sarah out in the desert someplace where nobody owned it. He could have simply gone out someplace and found a cave somewhere. But it has to be in the land that the Lord had promised him. Because this is Sarah's confession of faith, too. Sarah, interestingly, is, is quiet in the scripture. She doesn't say much. We don't have a lot of words from Sarah. It doesn't mean she didn't talk. It simply means that in uh, the record of her involvement in the people of faith, she just was not given a lot of words here. And yet, when she does act or say something, it's pretty important. It, it shows a woman of faith, a woman who is steadfast. Time after time, she has opportunity to leave Abraham. I mean, you, you, you think about it. She's following him in this tent. Her name means princess. Uh, she was uh, probably from a well-to-do family. She's living in this tent. And, you know, camping's nice, but living living in a campground in a tent can't be nice when you've got scorpions and jackals and lions. I mean, this is real. I, I'm not making that up. This is what that land is like. Uh, and frankly... I really don't want to be around a jackal uh, in a tent. You know, it's not, not, it doesn't sound very safe. Um, they had guards, undoubtedly, you know, among their people, but that that's why. I mean, you have these people guarding the place because it's a dangerous, uh, it's dangerous to live in a tent. And here's Sarah living year after year with Abraham because she too is following the Lord and confessing her faith that this is not her final destination. This is the promised land which points them like a token to a land the Lord has promised them. We'll see that later. But here is this property. Interesting, interestingly, this uh, land and this possession uh, term, terms up in our passage. It talks about, give me this land as a possession, this, this cave as my possession. And the Lord had promised uh, Abraham Canaan as a possession. So it's a term that comes up uh, in the Lord's promise in Genesis 17 in particular. Uh, but I want you to just go through here and look at the dynamics of this interchange. This is really quite interesting. It opens up with Abraham grieving for Sarah, his wife. He weeps for her. Uh, and then he rose up. And he said, confessing his faith to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. And of course, in this land the Lord had promised him, give me a burying place that I may bury my dead. 
and then it's very interesting what they say in verse 5 and 6. Here's my Lord, your prince among us. You bury her in one of our tombs. She's welcome to one of our tombs. And you bury your dead in one of our tombs. And frankly, right here is when you can see Abraham's gear, mental gears turning. That's not going to happen. <laughs> She's not going to go be buried in one of your tombs. She's going to have her own place in this land the Lord has promised me. Because the tomb means that she'll be buried with those folk. That would be her new family, as it were. You know, the ancient people took their tombs very seriously. We we don't do that so much anymore, interestingly. Uh, Certainly my family uh, has not. I don't know about me. We'll find out. But the, the the fact is that in the ancient world, your tombs were, that's where your family is. There's a interesting treaty the Romans used to make, the ancient Romans. Uh, they would make a treaty uh, and they would pronounce a curse on themselves if they broke the treaty by saying, let all the people... Uh, let all the nations dwell securely with their own possessions and their temples and their tombs. But not us if we break our treaty. Let us be uh, ejected from all those things. In other words, your possessions, your temples, and your tombs, you would be ejected from them as part of the curse that you're calling upon yourself. You wouldn't have your tombs anymore. So this is where your family is. This is, this is your place. Well, this, this is what Abraham's thinking here. Yeah, thank you for offering one of your tombs, the choicest of our tombs. And Abraham says, no, that's, that's not going to happen. I will give you full price. So that's the next stage in the negotiations here. If you're willing, bury my dead. I will, I will give you full price. And then he's, and then he names the place he's got in mind, this field of Ephron. Interestingly, and undoubtedly this is negotiations going on, uh, property negotiations, which tend to be kind of sticky sometimes, as you may well know. But this is a negotiation. Uh, we don't have a lot of examples of these kind of negotiations at this time, but certainly uh, that's what's happening here. Oh, Ephron says, oh, you take it. You, I give it to you as a, as a gift. So you just take this field in the tomb. And when you think about that, seems like a very generous offer. But I, I would in, invite you to look at Genesis 19 sometime. You really want to read the whole thing. But Abraham comes back from defeating these kings that had taken off, taken his nephew Lot and his family and possessions as loot, you know, as captives in war. And these kings had come down, raided uh, Sodom in that area, and had started taking them off. Well, Abraham arms himself and his family or his uh, household, and they go get Lot back. And on the way back... Uh, the king of Sodom appears and says, oh, you keep 
the possessions and just give me the people back. This sounds very generous. It isn't, actually, because it's the king of Sodom. Those possessions are not his. They belong to the people. (laughs) And furthermore, if he doesn't get the people back, he's no longer a king. You can't have, you can't be a king without people, right? So it's not really a generous offer. And then Abraham's response is quite interesting. I have sworn I won't take a sandal thumb of yours so that you, I'm not dependent upon you. Because I don't want to be, I don't want it to be said that you have enriched me. And it turns out, you know, these are things that Abraham captured in war. He could have kept them. But he, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He doesn't want to be dependent on the king of Sodom. Likewise with these Hittites. He doesn't want to be dependent upon them. His trust is in the Lord, not upon the Hittites. And the Lord will provide for him. So there is this negotiation. Well, then it comes up where Ephron, you know, kind of modestly says, Oh, what's five, what's 400 shekels among friends like us? Uh, and, uh, you know, a very nice way to say, I want 400 shekels. And I'm sure, you know, if you were to ask him, he's probably thinking, if I get 200, I'm happy. See, this is, this is part of the negotiation. This, this is quite an extraordinary amount. Now, money in the ancient world is kind of a tricky thing to figure out, you know, what it's really worth. Basically, the things you look at are, how much does a donkey cost? <laughs> well, it doesn't cost the same thing everywhere. So you're, you're kind of left with a lot of, um, a lot of work to really figure this out. But you don't have to go far. You could go to chapter 24, where, uh, Abraham sends a servant back to his homeland, uh, and in chapter 24, verse 22, the servant meets uh, Rebecca, and he gives her a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. And you see, a shekel is a weight. It's like an ounce or a pound. Uh, so it's a, it's a value in weight. In this case, it's gold, so it might be a little, worth a little bit more. But it's the shekel is the weight. So if you think about it, a ring is half a shekel, so it can't be Probably a pretty big ring, but it can't be too heavy. And a bracelet is two shekels. So that makes 400 shekels, you know, the weight value, kind of understandable. 400 shekels is a lot. Uh, Later on, when uh, Abraham's descendant Joseph is sold, he's sold for for, uh, 20 shekels, which if you think about it, isn't much. So he he sold to some... uh, slavers for 20 shekels. So it gives you an idea of the value here. This is a lot of money. 400 shekels is a lot of money. And Abraham could have balked at this. He could have said, oh, you know, that's, uh, it's, thank you, it's probably worth 200. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't haggle. Abraham is past the stage of haggling. Brothers and sisters, when you're grieving, you don't want to haggle. That's just a fact. Abraham's a human being. And he's just beyond... Earthly affairs right now don't really matter to him that much. 
He's got the money. He's going to pay it. You, you can see Abraham's heart here. He loved Sarah. He, you know, this is the wife of his youth, and he loved. And he, he's going to pay it. It's worth it to him. It's worth it because she has to have her place. He doesn't want to send her off, and it would be a disgrace to bury her in the desert, in some, you know, far-off place that's not a fair, orchard-like field. So there are trees there. There are oak trees. And, you know, you can understand that living down here, right? Have you ever been to some of the places around here? If you want to see this, Go to Woods Valley on the way to Bates Nut Farm. You drive that road, Bates, Woods Valley. It's kind of, the oaks overshade the road as you're driving. And you're driving and you're going, oh, this is nice. Look at that shade, you know, particularly on a hot day. It's nice and shady. It's cooler. It's pretty. You know, in a desert-like area, to have these oak trees is makes it kind of pretty and nice. Um, so there are these oak trees there. This is a nice place for Sarah. It's really worth it to Abraham to buy this field for Sarah. So her value was beyond 400 shekels, and he paid it. And now it's his possession. You see, this is a purchase. He has purchased this possession, and now it's his. It hasn't been given to him. Uh, he has bought it, and it's been sealed with these people, that this is now his property. You see, he's carved out this little place in this land of promise uh, so that his wife can be there with him in that place. And this is a place that's special now. This is a place that is an honorable place. And this is where Abraham is buried. And this is where his sons are buried. And if you if you care to read it, it's a this is actually another sermon uh, sometime down the road. But it's interesting how Joseph's bones keep coming up. There are three passages in Scripture that talk about Joseph's bones. Well, he's buried in this same place. The last word in the Old Testament is, and they. this is after the Exodus. They take his bones out of Egypt, the, the, Egypt, the uh, Israelites. They take his bones... And they take them with them out of Egypt, and they bury him here. It actually says in this spot, they bury him in that place because that's where he wanted to be buried. This is this is their folk. This is where his family lives as they wait the resurrection. This is his possession. Now, this is not a undermining of God's gift to the possession, but the Lord has made them wait. So they are pilgrims. In a land that's not their own, Abraham confesses his faith. Verse 4, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place. All he wants is a burying place. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to buy the whole property. He's not going to settle down. Notice he doesn't set up a, a, a building there for himself. He doesn't set up a home. Uh, he doesn't, you know, make a strip mall out of it. Whatever. You know, this is not a place for Abraham to settle down. This is a place to uh, bury his dear wife. And this uh, property, um, for her to wait with him, 
for the fulfillment of that promise. Now, the promise comes to Abram in chapter 17. Let me read this for you, 17 verse 8. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. Remember what Abraham said, I'm a sojourner. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Brothers and sisters, the real key there is that last bit. Now, when you keep reading in Scripture, one of the key places that I read frequently when I'm working with these texts is Hebrews 11. Let me read this for you. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in accordance with the dictates of faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from a distance and having acknowledged, this is better, confessed, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He is not ashamed to be called their God, and I will be their God. I will give you this land, the land of your sojournings for an everlasting possession, and I will be, uh, and your offspring after you, and I will be their God. Therefore, God is not to be ashamed to be called their God. I will be their God, and he is not ashamed to be called their God. What is it that you have to offer him? What is it that you have to offer the Lord that he would not be ashamed of you? Are you so pure? Are you so righteous and holy that you can actually say, I come before the Lord and I have nothing to be ashamed of, he has nothing to be ashamed of with me. I can't say that. But he's not ashamed of you if you put your trust in him, if you confess him in the world. Therefore, he is not ashamed to be called your God. This means he's committed to you. This means the Lord of glory, the king of all creation, worthy of a new song, is not ashamed to be called your God. And he's not ashamed to call you his people. Sarah was one of his own. And he was not ashamed to call her his daughter. The Lord watched over that whole proceeding. He gave Abraham the money to buy that possession. And he allowed that transaction to take place. That little reminder, that little token of the place that the Lord had prepared. Because these people knew that what the Lord was going to prepare for them was not a homeland in this earth, but a homeland and a new creation that he is working to build. Brothers and sisters, you keep reading in scripture, you find that our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the world builder. He's the one who builds the new creation. And he built it on the basis of his work on the cross that it might be inhabited 
by his people. He's not ashamed of you because you're covered in the blood of Christ. You have hope now, and you can confess that same God. So you confess this same God all of your days. And on that last day that you draw breath on earth, you call upon the Lord to give you that heavenly homeland as well that he has promised you in Christ Jesus, and he will do it. And on that last day, you will hear his voice. When he calls you by name out of the grave, your great shepherd, he knows you by name, and he will call you and you will hear, unless he comes before that day, Maranatha. Amen.